Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for the Boston Celtics. John, you and I have not been around since before Labor Day. We took a month off. Usually we take it off in August. I think actually last year I did a little bit of a... um, I don't know what it was exactly, but we interviewed a lot of different people on their careers. So it was kind of like a highlight or a career highlight. This year we took some time, but we took it in September. Uh, well, I should say late August and into September, a little bit later this year, either way. And here we are, we're back and we're just what? 11 days from the very first preseason game and only a week from media day. It's interesting. The whole, um, the whole preseason schedule, it's very, very different, and uh, it's kind of tight. It's four quick games, then they get a week, basically, and then all of a sudden the regular season starts. Uh, pretty interesting. Four days from media day to the first exhibition game. So they did what we wanted them to do. We had them shorten the preseason and give everybody a little bit more rest during the regular season. Of course, the Celtics were so lean last year due to injuries unrelated to fatigue that we never really got to see the benefits of that. No, we haven't, you know, we're, it's, forget Christmas morning. This is like, you know, three weeks later and we still have the presents unwrapped under the tree and we're like, okay, all right, when we get to do this now, <laughs> you know, this is, we want to see the, the shiny toys that we all had. And we were expecting to play with a year ago and they got ripped out of our hands and stomped in our faces. Like, uh, you know, Ralphie with the, <laughs> with the red, red rider BB gun. We got yeah, hit but like Kevin Garnett, like Kevin Garnett, you got to punch the bully back in the face. <laughs> I, yeah. Speaking of Kevin Garnett got punched in the face by his, by his, uh, accountant too. That's a whole nother story we didn't cover in the time since we've been gone, but yeah, yeah, well, it's, it's, Everyone's anticipate is an anticipation of what's going to happen. You know, we're a week away. I'm excited for media day. I'm always excited for media day. I can't wait for this, the opportunity to, you know, watch the live stream as, you know, half, you know, par- basically partially comatose interviews take place on Celtics.com stream to my desktop at work. Partially and comatose. It's, it's, That's so it's great. great. Yeah. And, and they do a great job at Celtics.com. I'm not trying to, 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 to hate on them there. I'm just saying the, the players are like, they're like talking to like 15 different outlets. They got to do all this stuff. It's, it's, it's a tough slog, but I eat it up. I love it. 
I mean, Celtics basketball is back, and soon we'll be ready for my eyeballs. Well, I'm pretty sure Trags and Goodman and Nick Gelso are all going to be there representing CLNS Media as well, and uh, we'll get some great videos. I don't know if you noticed, but on the YouTube channel, the high definition is legit high def. I swear they must have gotten some new camera equipment. It's looking really good, like broadcast, high-level broadcast uh, me, uh, media video. I'm just loving what they're doing. I can't wait to see it inside of the practice facility with a bunch of players. And they were there um, at the practice facility recently when Gordon Hayward donned what they believe was a Celtics jersey for the very first time since opening night when he suffered that ter- horrific, not terrific, horrific ankle injury. And he basically says he's a back 100%, been doing full court for over two, or 90%, I should say, been doing full court for over two weeks. And that last 10% to get to 100% is full explosion off of the ankle. I think once he's in games, that's when he'll finally work through that. Do you expect any setbacks, John, in his rehab once it's full court NBA action, not preseason, but regular season play? Uh, I think they'll ease him into it though. I think that's the, that's the trick, you know, it, every, you know, all the, uh, the orthopedic people and all the sports medicine people of all, uh, the doctors seem to say, you know, look, he should be able to come back fine. You know, explosiveness is, is really the issue. And the one thing he talked about when, when he had that, that's that interview, I suppose the other day at, uh, at the new balance center is that he felt like, you know, in his five on five, it was really about him feeling in the flow of the game. And that, that was a really promising thing in my mind, you know, the fact that he's not thinking twice about cuts and whatnot, and he's thinking about trying to get in the flow and feeling that the way that the game comes to you. I thought that was a really encouraging sign. I think that, you know, there's certain things that probably you're going to have and you probably better, <laughs> you know, a better spot to talk about this in terms of what sort of impact that can have to your legs and, um, you know, repetitive motion on an injury, you know, on, a, on the joint and so forth. But to me, it seems like they, with this team, they're going to give so much rest to people when they're overworked and all the amount of money they've thrown to sports medicine and really trying to make this a high tech operation when it comes to the well-being of the players. It seems to me they're going to err on the side of let's make everyone feel right as be as close to tip top performance shape in, in April, May, June, uh, then worrying about regular season. And they've got so many guys in this roster. You know, if, if you got to pull Gordon Hayward from a night because he's tired or, you know, it's just uh, the scar tissue is breaking there, whatever it is. You've got Marcus Morris you throw in there into, into his slot, and you juggle the, the, the lineups around that way. I mean, they've just got so much depth here. It's not a problem for the team. It's just probably a question for Gordon Hayward how quickly he can get back to that all-star form. You make a really good point. They just invested all this money into a training staff that you would think that they would want to get this one right because it's really a big part of their marketing campaign, even to free agents, et cetera. This is why you want to come to Boston. We have state-of-the-art facilities. We have state-of-the-art training. Um, you know, we've got Tom Brady's trainer. No, they don't. But anyway, all I'm going to say is at the end of the day, this is a big mark for them in that regard. I also think what you're talking about with scar tissue, et cetera, I think that was the setback with the second surgery. I think he's through that. I'm not surprised to hear him say he's ready to kind of be in the flow. I think it's more of a conditioning thing, to be honest with you at this point. I think he's gotten through those kinds of setbacks. Now, 
is his ankle weaker? It has to be. You just don't break an ankle and then all of a sudden it's not weaker later. The whole game plan on that is to build the muscles around it. So were he a little fatigued? Did he, were he to have, you know, some, um, you know, just not being in game shape, could he end up re-injuring himself in any kind of way just because of the fact that he's not in game shape and maybe the muscles get tired? Sure. But that's a risk for anybody, whether they're in game shape or recovering from any type of injury. I don't think there's really anything special here. Not a hundred percent that I know that, but that's kind of my estimation based on the fact that he did have a second surgery, which I think was meant to clean up the ankle, as you said. Another thing that stood out to me, He's a lot lighter in the lower body. If you remember the very first game last year, uh, he kind of had a little bit more, I would say, of a power forward's body, especially like from a rebounding standpoint, really that lower body weight to be able to push guys around. He's a little bit leaner. No surprise there. He hasn't been able to do lower body work for quite some time. But I almost wonder if the Celtics asked him to beef up heading into last season so they could float him over to the four. A little bit more easily, especially when he would have to be a rebounder. That might be limited this year because I do, again, I think he's lost some of that lower, lower body strength. And so in that regard, maybe he's got to play shooting guard small forward more than we were used to. But I also think heading into last season, they were thinking Jason Tatum was strictly going to play the three. And I think we've seen Jason actually defensively and also rebounding wise be able to give minutes at the four. So. I don't know if this segues great into our starting lineup debate that began this time last year and never got to be settled. While I won the debate for game one that I believed it would be Kyrie and Brown and Tatum and Hayward and Horford, and I still staunchly believe that will be the case, uh, you and I have continued debate over the season of what would have been or should have been or what still will be this very upcoming season. And so I'm still sticking to my guns there, but I do think there's something that maybe says it's a little bit more difficult to start all five of them if they're a little bit concerned about it being leaner at the four. Yeah. Well, and opening night, they're playing Philly, right? So that's the, that's the first, the first sense that, uh, perhaps I, I, I don't want to say that if they don't go with, you know, the, uh, a Baines Horford starting lineup, forget the, about the other three, but the Baines Horford piece of that against Philly, assuming all injury things are, are equal. Um, if they don't go with that, then I think you're right. I think they're going to probably stick going small throughout. I can't imagine. It, you're not going to see the Philadelphia. Oh, you 76ers. think the 76ers game basically gives us total insight for the season on how they plan to approach it because that matchup so. is the one where you would go yeah. with Bates most. Now, the only thing I'm going to yeah. debunk that with just a little bit is it's opening night and it's going to be yeah. really hard for them not to show off Hayward. It's going to be really hard for them not right. to put Tatum out there. So I'd say the next matchup that that dictates might be a better little mm-hmm. bit of look just Good because. Point. I mean, it's going to be, it's all over. It's the most important game to kick off the year, right? Yeah, no, and they're absolutely right. I mean, there's a lot that's going to go into this. Um, I, I, you know, I think you look at, I think over the hall, over, overall though, you look at where, you know, against Toronto, okay, when, when you start looking a couple nights later and, and they're going to play Toronto, um, I think that's in Toronto, that first game in Toronto. Um, there, you know, that game is one where, 
okay, I, I, that's probably going to be a night you're going to, you're going to, you're going to start wherever you're going to start. Yeah, you got Valanchunas, but Ibaka, you know, if that's, if that's Tatum, okay, if it's Horford, you're probably going to, you're not feeling like you have to, you're, whoever you're playing is dictating the matchup. Whereas Philly, it beads a load, right? I mean, there's just no way around that. So you're right. We'll see. We'll see where that goes. I think it's going to take probably a week or two for us to probably get a sense of like, okay, well, this is what it is, or this is definitively what it isn't. You know, um, and- I just like oh, during the regular season going more with the offense. I think they should try to shoot their way out to start games and be able to get a little bit of a lead that's a breather. That way they can get the younger players that asserted themselves last year, such as Terry Rozier, I think, deserves minutes. You know, Marcus Smart's going to be in his role, is going to be in his role, is going to be in his role. Somebody else who might get a little bit upset if they don't see the kind of minutes that they did last year would be like a Marcus Morris. He's the kind of guy you could almost see demanding a trade potentially if, you know, he's under 10 minutes per game. So if they get out to those leads, they can bring in those bench players who desperately need those minutes and execute kind of that strategy. And that's kind of how the regular season goes. I don't want them to get lazy on defense, and that's not my point, but I do think that they should kind of let offense and having fun dictate the pace of the schedule. And then maybe when we hit March, the all-star break, maybe right after that um, in late February as we head down the stretch, maybe at that point, they start to go with a little bit bigger lineups, start to be able to practice defense and that. And not that they wouldn't do it situationally and, and throughout the rest of the season, but I just mean in the starting scenario, how do they get out of the gate, uh, maybe taking one of those offensive pieces out of the lineup to play defense at a more staunch level? Because you could see that in the postseason more than I would say most teams tend to play it during the regular season. I guess we're going to have to see what their what their identity is. I think they're going to be better – they also weren't like a great offensive team last year. Now, will they be great with healthy Kyrie and full Gordon Hayward and Tatum has a sense of who the heck he is. And, you know, Jalen might be able to do a few more things other than hit spot up shots. And, you know, Rozier is feeling himself and, you know, a little bit less Marcus smart, you know, will all those things balance out to be, you know, a top five super team. I mean, that's, that's kind of the question. It seems like is, are the Celtics a super team? Are they, you know, I think the talent is at that level. The potential of that talent is at that level. But offensively, I'm not sure if, um, you know, I'm not sure if that's where they're headed. I'm not sure if they can reach that. I mean, offensively, I think is but where think they have about, to make that jump. Think about where they were maybe around the time that, I mean, there was. There was that standard Celtics middle of the season kind of difficulty that they've typically gone through um, where all of a sudden it happened with Isaiah Thomas two years in a row where they're really just deferring to their primary scorer to be able to get it done for them. And I think this year um, it'll be a little bit different because after that stretch, when Kyrie finally went completely down, that's when we saw some of these younger players step up offensively, even Jalen Brown, and his confidence level shooting the three ball in the second half of the season. I mean, he was there pretty much all season long, but I just think this year we're not going to have the same kind of problem with that offensively. Now, if you remember, after Hayward went down, they were one of the top defensive teams in the league going all the way through, I want to say, early to, I mean, mid to late 
December, but that's when it really began to fall off was after that. Now we know a lot of teams, it takes them a little while to get their offenses together and get defense. And so, you know, that first 20 to 25 games, it could have been fool's gold with the way that they were playing defense. But I think they actually did play defense that well. I think they might not have been the number one or two defensive team in the league by the time it was all said and done, potentially. Uh, but I think health and the injuries is what wound up really catching up to them. So, no, I don't expect them maybe at the very bottom of the top ten in the league defensively. But I think offensively they take a big spike just because of how much progress the players coming off the bench have been. That was the biggest issue last season. They lost their number two scorer in Hayward, and the players off the bench really weren't quite ready until they were thrust into starting roles in regular minutes. And I guess that will be the biggest test is how much can they handle coming up, coming in in the game off the bench instead of coming right out and getting into the flow of it with significant minutes. That's kind of a veteran move, and we're asking a bunch of still early players early in their career to be able to pull off. Well, and you're also looking for guys, I mean, like Terry Rozier is expecting a big paycheck at the end of this year. So that's <laughs> that's a big issue. Like that's, that's something that um, – a guy who spent his summer looking sharp, looking good, all kinds of Instagram, you know, stories, all kinds of Snapchat. Uh, the guy has been, you know, extremely online and he's been, he's been out there putting himself out there and it's great. It's great. But, you know, he's, he's going to be coming into the season and he's going to be the third, the fourth guard. <laughs> he's the fourth guard on this team. That's a pretty tough spot to going from starting point guard on the Eastern Conference finalist that was only a couple minutes away from being an NBA finalist to now you're the fourth guard. And that's, you know, I think that that's, that's where Brad Stevens is going to make his money this year. It's not going to be trying to get the most out of a ragtag bunch of uh, ruffian toughians. It's going to be, no, you're all good. But I got to massage this ego over here, this ego over there. You know, you got your time to shine over here. You're going to have to take a seat here and take a step back. Now it's your turn. Now that's the, that's the, that's the, well, I'm going to tell you right now. That's exactly why I say they go with that offensive lineup to start the game because it becomes, if they come out and light the world on fire two out of three nights and get that going, they'll be able to satisfy those egos a lot easier than getting into a defensive grinded out battle where they're not able to throw up the points that they need to to be able to go deep into the bench. That's how you satisfy that. It's very much like in sales. In sales, everybody says revenue cures all problems. And it's true. If you bring in the money, then there's plenty of money to do what the business needs to do. Uh, but it's the same thing in this in this scenario for the Celtics, I believe. Different than Toronto. I don't think scoring is going to solve all the problems in Toronto. I think that's a defensive game plan across the board. They're going to need to find ways to score. They will. But for Boston, I feel like scoring solves all the problems that they have about feeding egos and getting guys minutes and taking nights off because they've got to be the number one seed. They want that home court advantage in the postseason. I mean, with all those injuries, they were one game away from playing in the NBA Finals. And we'll debate this all season long as we actually see the team we thought we would see last year that's now matured from all these minutes coming for for players that are going to be bench bench role players. Uh, can they can they take on? Can they take them on? Can they take them on, John? 
the Warriors. Oh, Warriors? Um, if, if Boogie Cousins is the Boogie Cousins that we've become accustomed to with some sort of brain transplant, no. I mean, if, if Boogie's Boogie and they are, you know, playing, I, I, and plays, if he fits seamlessly into what they do, no way. Um, so but you're, I think you're looking could. for cancer cousins. Cancer cousins. Yeah, man, I need cancer cousins. I need him to go in there from the inside and completely make all of the vital organs of the Golden State Warriors uh, turn to jelly. I mean, I think that's what we all need. No, look, I, if he's, I'm just saying, if he's his, his booginess, his best booginess in terms of game, less booginess in terms of mental, it's a wrap. Like, but that's always the thing. That's well, always no. the thing with him. But you're right. You know, he's got some rehab to do. But we don't really. We're not evaluating this until we're fully into the postseason and right. the finals. And he'll be healthy by then. And right. you know, how he integrates later, I think actually that's an advantage for them. It I think be. if he was actually on the court all season long, there'd be pl- plenty of time for that cancer cousins to fester and spread. Mm-hmm. But I think because he's going to be chomping at the bit when he finally gets to play, it's kind of a shortened season and they'll figure out how to get him out there and make the best of it. I actually think it'll probably go very, very successfully. So I guess we'll see. Um, I, the, I, the question will really come down to not just the Celtics defensively, like we were just kind of talking about with the starting five and how to get set up for the postseason but also that whole offense to start the game. But they are going to need that. They're going to need to basically try to outshoot the Warriors, right? Like they're going to have to be able to put up, and that's going to be very tough, but they're going to have to be able to put up those same kind of points. So I'm going to go to something that Goodman said on that video from the practice facility on Celtics blog and CLNS media that we talked about earlier. And he said that Tatum, he believes, is the second option which would put him ahead of Horford and Hayward. And I can understand ahead of Horford just because that's how Horford would have it. But ahead of Hayward kind of is surprising. And maybe he just meant to start the year because Hayward's going to be kind of getting himself going again. I have a hard time envisioning that we'll see Tatum being the number two option. I really think it's going to be Kyrie. It's going to be Hayward. Then it definitely goes to Tatum for me, Horford, and then you know Jalen Brown is kind of sitting in that five spot, which is actually a real advantage for him. If people are doubling anywhere else and sleeping, I can see Jalen setting up in the corner and then instead of taking the corner three, just coming right along baseline on that weak side and throwing down a dunk. I think they can do a lot of creative things offensively. But is Tatum really... The number two option in your mind, John, all season long. I mean, I think he gets there, but is he with a healthy Gordon Hayward? I think, uh, <laughs> I think Jeff, I think Jeff's reaching on that one. Look, I, I think hey, Tatum has a real shot to be there. I think he has a real shot to be there by the end of the year, but I think Gordon Hayward is <laughs> a multi-time all-star. Or I mean, the guy can play and, and you could, I suppose you could say, well, he's slow. He's coming back. And, you know, in that time, Tatum has, has been on a steady progression, but that's just kind of, I think it's just kind of silly to, to me. I think Tatum has got to prove it. Like that's where we are right now with Tatum and Brown. They're both in the prove it stage, you know, like they have potential to be something, but at this point, they need to prove it. They need to go out there on the court and take it. 
You know, like this is this whole thing about, you know, like the, the rank and the SI rank and all these different things talking about how good they could be, what their 2K rank is, you know, it doesn't matter. Like it's all just talk, right? They, at this point, they got to go out there and do it. And I'm just kind of, I understand what Goodman's saying and, and Tatum has that ability, but I, I just, and depending I, I on what he's been doing in the offseason, the guy, let's not anoint. I, I agree. We don't anoint him. I think the only question mark is because Hayward hasn't been there, but I think everybody will remember who, what kind of a shooter Hayward is when he comes back. And now that Tatum isn't a lights out shooter and didn't show us right. some crazy awesome stuff in his freshman year. I mean, that whole rookie. Uh, endeavor was pretty awesome and it was born out of injury that he had such an opportunity to showcase himself. But, uh, and I do think he'll get better with more attention drawn other places, but whether we see or the Celtics see Tatum as the number two option, I guarantee you when opposing teams are bat, are game planning for the Celtics, their game planning as Hayward is the second option, not Tatum. And they're just well, trying and, to make sure they don't get burned by Tatum as a result. Well, to, and to that point, right? So let's go back to the Evan Turner era, right? Evan Turner is a playmaker. Like that was what he was good at. That doesn't mean just because he wasn't this dynamic scorer, he was the guy you go to to get the bucket, whether he's the one that created it in ISO or whether he created a, a, a shot for somebody else. That's what we're talking about with Hayward. We're not talking about this, you know, this otherworldly guy who can like, you know, call upon the gods to give him this sainted shot. Like that's, that's Tatum, you know, and that's okay. Hayward right now is smarter. He's stronger. He's more prepared to get an NBA bucket. Now, do I trust Tatum to be able to, to go there? Uh, yeah, I do, but. I think that Hayward is in a better spot where in his career and probably into the, the context of what the Boston Celtics are doing. Yeah. So I still put Hayward ahead of him, but there's nothing wrong with saying that. And there's nothing wrong with saying Tatum isn't there yet, but could he be by the end of the year? No doubt. No yeah, doubt about I mean, it. I really look at it like, all right, if the ball isn't Kyrie's number one, the game's on the line. You've got one shot left. Kyrie's your first option. Who's it going to go next? Is it going to go to Tatum or is it going to go to Hayward? And I just think right now, and I get it, it's going to depend. It's going to depend on the play. It's going to depend on who's open. Right, right. All of that, right? But I'm just saying the majority of the time, if Kyrie doesn't have a shot, he's being doubled, they did a great job, whatever, the ball is next going to go to, or there's going to be more plays run and designed around the ball going to finish that sentence. It's Hayward, right? Six ways till Sunday. The more expl- the more experienced player, the veteran, he's got yeah. the outside shot. Um, right. You know, I'm not saying that Tatum won't get the, get the chance at that. And maybe it's even 60 40. Right. And maybe it's approaching 51-49 and nobody can actually tell the difference about who's number two, right? But I just think at this point, Hayward is number two. And I love Tatum, so that says a lot. Yeah, no, and that and I think that's very fair. And that look at the way Brad draws things up, right? He's going to go to whoever it's open. He It may be whoever you're guarding, not who you are. You know what I mean? So it's 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 a bit of a fictitious argument. I I think the most important point is that the sellers have three guys that can get buckets at perhaps whenever they want. And I think that's, that's really the important piece of this, whether, you know, whoever you go to. And I think 
you know, the ideal world to me is Hayward gets the ball and he's got a great shooter in Kyrie. He's got a great shooter in Jason Tatum and the defense can't help off either one. And he can also go to Horford if help comes from there. And you know what? If help comes from, from Jalen Brown, he can, he can, Jalen can make him pay. I mean, that's the, that's the devastating part of this. We saw what a, what a strong catch and shoot opportunity Jalen Brown became last year. If he goes another level in that, whoa, boy. And once you again, know? you are making my point oh, about why I go geez. with the smaller starting five. And, and I know you seem like you're softening. You seem like you're softening, but we'll see how this goes as we get closer to the start of the season. Nope. You've been much more, I want to say, wily in defending your Baines will start position than this Baines show. will start. You're Baines coming will start. You're coming oh, around. I can see it. By the way, I was just noticing no after watching the CLNS media video of Jeff Goodman standing next to Trags and Nick, yeah. that there's a similar or somewhat resemblance between, not exactly, but you and John have kind of a, a John. See, there we go. You and Jeff have a little bit of a slight resemblance. So maybe you could be like evil Jeff and we could get you to a game like once this year and you just wear, you know, a patterned sports coat. You're tall like Jeff, right? Two yeah. of you are probably yeah. what? You're yeah. six five, six three? Oh God, no. Six two. Six two. All right. I think he's yeah. like six four. Either way, you could be him. evil Jeff, right? <laughs> you could me, you just be yeah, like, you know, well, you, I like Rondo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like Isaiah. You just do the opposite of everything. You know what I mean? We just get yeah. you side by side, and He's you're like, on. I'm, bru- you know, I got brown hair. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see it. Okay, all right. It's there, yeah. dude. I'm telling you. All right, all right. My brother from another mother, Jeff. Right. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> I'm telling you. All right. Last thing we're going to talk about before we wrap the show is a very disappointing situation with a player who showed some flashes late last season, got some, some, I would say a few critical minutes in the postseason, but really an explosive athlete taken in the second round and somebody that I was like, whoa, this guy's six, six and an athletic freak and actually can shoot the ball. And I thought to myself, this might be one of those players that the Celtics stole out of the second round. And it just tells you why, Hey, the more second round picks, the better, because eventually you're going to hit on one of them. I thought this was the guy. And he also happens to have the namesake of one of the most famous Celtics players in history, right, John? So Jabari Bird then goes out and just has a nightmare night. And, uh, I, I just think his, uh, I know they haven't done anything yet, but I, it's hard for me to see the Celtics hanging on to him. Um, maybe, maybe they'll wait till there's some sort of a court determination before they make it official. Uh, maybe they'll wait until they see, all right, we need a spot on the roster and we've got somebody we like and now we're going to do this, whatever the case may be. It's just hard for me to see him sticking around. Yeah, it's, it's tragic. I mean, it's tragic on a lot of levels and, um, you know, you just, you feel for the victim here. You feel for what she's going through. I mean, this is, you know, you, you, this is, yeah, this is a nightmare on, on so many, so many different levels. Well, you know, and it's public too, right? Like that's not somebody would, regardless of being the victim, I don't think it's some, something that anybody would want to be public, you know, that, that it occurred because that's just a whole other host of trauma that somebody shouldn't have to deal with. Right. And I think that's often forgotten. You know, with some of these people that are more visible athletes in the media, you know, there's a secondary 
sort of victimization that happens there. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're a fan of the person and so of, of, of the assailant, I guess, in this case. And you're, you know, you're, that fandom is now going beyond the court and into uh, someone's home life. And it's just, well, it's, yeah. It's and bizarre. your name is out there too. Absolutely. Like everybody knows you're yeah. the victim versus, you know, sort of being able to kind of control that and only, you know, have that be known to the people that mm-hmm. you would select you know, to have your private matters known to. So anyway, I mean, we don't need to, it's obviously not well, a show, but I just think it bears mentioning, like, it's very yeah, unfortunate, no and there's a lot of reasons why you should feel for the victim. In this I, case. I, absolutely. And But one thing that I don't want to say about a rush to judgment, I, I think that's probably a um, too strong, and, and certainly there's there's been a report. He's been, in, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's been in court. He's, he's, you know, free on bail. Um, there is a piece of this, which involves the mental health piece. And, um, I don't, there's some unanswered questions still. We have the police report. We've seen that. Um, but we don't know why he was in, in, you know, the hospital for, for several days, a good part of a week. We don't know why it says in the report that he was convulsing. Uh, he has anxiety, we don't know. There's a lot we don't know about his side of this. We know what happened. We know, or we know it was, was alleged to have happened, but we don't know what is going on with Jabari Bird. And, you know, after the summer, we read so many great stories that Jackie McMullen wrote about the league and things we thought we know about players. But then when you saw their side and what mentally what they're going through, you did say, whoa, okay, well then I look at that situation perhaps differently. I'm not saying that's the case here, but there are, we are hearing this from a, from a perspective. I'm sure through court and through other things, we'll see a broader scope here. Um, so if the league is, it's, this is in the league's hands, it's not the Celtics decision. Um, so the league need, needs to make some decisions here, but also we need to figure out there could be something that has to do with the mental health piece of this. And we've seen, that through those articles, the league hasn't done a great job. They've done some things. The Celtics have been very forthcoming in trying to help their players. Marcus Morris, Shane Larkin, two of those guys mentioned in those those articles by Jackie Mack. But this is a whole nother thing. This is where one of their players went out, did something likely very, very um, awful, assaulted someone, kidnapped someone, strangled someone. Uh and this is a big test for what this means potentially on the mental health side. If that's, if there's an argument that that was some of what caused this and we don't know anything again, um, I just think so much about those articles and what we thought we knew about players, what we now know about players. I just feel like we, there's, um, we have to probably pause a little bit and, and maybe take well, a step I mean, back. I think back to Delonte West when he was on, exactly. you know, the spider with a whole bunch of guns and he was having, you know, a complete manic episode. The problem is, at least in that scenario, it's very hard to relate to this one because there was no victim in that scenario. Mm-hmm. But Absolutely. if Delonte had gone and shot somebody, or shot the police officer who was trying to detain him. Sure. And, and believe me, I have a background, you know, and having worked with mental health and, but it, once there's a victim, the game is changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and regardless of the illness. And so I, I guess on the one hand, there's, you know, legally what needs to happen. And then secondarily, there's what the league needs to do. So, you know, if there's a legitimate psychological sort of underlying issue here, 
mm-hmm. then maybe he doesn't lose his job, but he likely still goes to jail, right? It's that, right. that's yeah. where, where, that's where you tease it out to say, okay, you know, we're not, I mean, ultimately he loses the job if he goes to jail, right? Because he's incarcerated. But the point being that, you know, for somebody with mental illness, it's not really the employer's decision. You know what I mean? Like in that scenario, like totally. to be some, to, to levy, you know, any kind of discipline where, you know, legally once there's a victim, you know, there's, there still does need to be levied, you know, some, some level of, um, some level of punishment. And, and maybe that's getting help in a psychiatric facility instead of mm-hmm. being incarcerated. But you kind of leave those matters up to the, up to the law. And there is a lot to, to learn about psychiatric illness. And I think, you know, the stigma and all that is very real, but I always think of that Delaney, Delaney West situation, which maybe many of our listeners won't even know who Delaney West is anymore unless they're, you know, very keen on the uh, LeBron James and his mom scenario. But, but Delonte was a player I really loved. I mean, I really enjoyed him as a Celtic. If you remember, uh, he came out of St. Joe's with Jameer Nelson, who's, you know, had a pretty decent career. And I think he was in the same draft class as Tony Allen. Mm-hmm. And Al Jefferson as well. Yeah, that was a, it was, it was, it, he was really there for the start of the whole thing as it turned around, you know, that 04 situation. And, and he was great, you know, and, and you're right. I mean, the, the, the case of a victim here does change how you look at it. You, you want to see these guys get help. Um, there are people who have been victimized, who have had wrongs done to them. And so the court system has to deal with them. I just, you know, I look at this and it, it's, it's perhaps I'm mixing, I'm mixing things that aren't related, but we do such a poor job in this country of dealing with mental health and dealing with people who have illnesses. I mean, look at all the, the <laughs> Well, I won't get on the soapbox because this is Celtic stuff live, but, but, right. you know, I think, I, but I think the point is that it's just very easy for us to, to, to jump to conclusions about, oh, he's got all the, everyone's got all these things and they've got the money and they've got the fame and they've got the fortune. And reading those, those articles that Jackie, uh, and ESPN put out really, you know, caused me to really rethink a lot. He illuminated of that. some stuff, right? Yeah. And you've got to, you know, you've got to think about, these people are real people. They're not just, you know, players. They're people who have all the same problems we all have, perhaps even more given their upbringings. And so I'm not saying that's the case here in Jabari Bird's case, but I don't know that we've built a good enough. Um, we don't know the facts. Let's just be real. We yeah. don't know the facts in any situation. That's and right. Even when they come out in the papers and they come out, we it's still part don't of know the facts. Yeah, that's we true. We still weren't there. And it's so easy to, to do this Monday morning quarterbacking of everybody else's life. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that we, uh, that we, that we necessarily make these things okay. You know what I mean? And, and yeah, not about that. The point is, is, you know, we don't know the facts. We have even more limited information today than we will when finally, you know, this is dealt with legally. And even then we won't still know the entire story. We'll only know the story as it was told by the lawyers. And, and so that's just the, the truth of the matter. And even with mental illness, it's not like you just go and draw some blood and say, Oh, okay, it's this. <laughs> and this is exactly how it presents itself, you know? Yeah. 
Um, it's not a perfect science and, and, and even science as great as the scientific method is, there is no, I think such thing as perfect science, right? Um, there's just more and more details that help paint a clearer picture and a more accurate picture as time goes on. So yeah, good point. Good point. I don't know, John, maybe we, maybe we wrap it on that. And, uh, but I am disappointed because I was a big fan mm-hmm. of Jabari birds. I think it's going to be hard for him to get mm-hmm. through this and maintain an NBA career. Even if, uh, even if it's not until after this contract ends, depending on how things go, it's just very tough to fight through that. So, um, and as you mentioned before, Terry Rozier was, the fourth guard so limited minutes available there but i thought this was a player that you know could back up the jalen brown terry rosier you know when when terry does terry might even get the brinks truck right isaiah's been struggling to to find his way there but but terry could get some money this year after this season if he plays well off the bench he's due to make some cash i think he's i think he's gonna make money even if he as a fourth guard even if he's getting you know 20 minutes a night 15 minutes a night i still think he's showed so much in that playoff run that that you know, the, the, we've seen guys do far less and make far more. So I'm not worried about Terry Rozier cashing, cashing in big time next summer, whether it's here or whether it's somewhere else. I think the bigger question is where's, where's Kyrie Irving going to be and making sure he's on the Celtics and not somewhere else. By the way, this Jimmy Butler stuff, that bears a lot of watching because I think he goes, then there's a whole bunch of dominoes and maybe they get traded. He gets traded somewhere. What happens to Carl Anthony Towns? There's a lot of talk on Twitter this morning about, well, maybe Towns, they trade Towns, keep Butler because Tibbs likes him. I don't know. The stuff, it's stuff, a lot of stuff yeah. to watch here before we get to training camp here in the next week. You're 100% right about that. And we always know there's a trade around the corner whenever there's a roster crunch for the Celtics. So certainly something to bears keeping your eyes on throughout the entire season. And we're finally ramping up for it. Preseason just 11 days away, media day a week from today, at least when this airs. And then uh, the regular season almost exactly – well, the regular season does begin a month from the day that John and I are recording this. Uh, you will all hear it tomorrow morning, but that is going to do it for this week. The broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Media mobile app. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. A heartfelt thank you to everybody for tuning in. And remember that you can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd love it if you gave us a rating and a review because your feedback is important to show for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Media, Nick Gelso, and for my co-host John Duke, I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.